Wait, it's not video, is it? No, I don't know how to do that. I'm just literally holding All up right, the cool. phone <laughs> up to <laughs> the laptop. <clears throat> well, I guess I don't have to do the actual intro because I do the intro in the episode. Hi, everyone. This is a special pre-recording of the Steady Hands Barber Club, and I have Eddie and Patrick on the phone um, from our respective houses. Say hi. Hello. Hey, send toilet paper. <laughs> um, today we have Leslie Rosty on the podcast again, and this is a special episode. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> What's so funny? <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> <laughs> no. okay. Um, yeah, this is a little different. We're, 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 <laughs> okay. We release episodes every two weeks, but every once in a while, we just sprinkle in some random episodes, kind of like bonuses. Um, we re- we decided to release these uh, right after we recorded them, just for the sake of spreading good information. Um, so yeah, just to say again, we re- we release episodes every two weeks, but this is a bonus episode. And that was terrible, dude. I mean, it's gonna go in. Oh boy. Yeah. Okay, y'all enjoy this episode. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone, bye. 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 Say bye, Patrick. Oh, bye. Hello. Welcome to the Steady Hands Barber Club. My name's Jacob, and with me here in the studio today is no one, because like uh, my co-hosts, we are social distancing, so I'm uh, doing this interview by myself. Today, we are with Leslie Rosti. Uh, part two to the COVID-19 Barberside and Best Practices interview. How you doing, Leslie? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm doing very well. I've been keeping myself busy, just hanging around the house, doing a lot of pottery. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been getting a lot of of my clients talking to me about me going over to their house and saying, oh, no, it's fine, I'm not sick, and, you know, now that we are living in a COVID-19 and post, uh, soon-to-be post-COVID-19 world, um, you know, a lot of people are unsure. Some people are taking this not that seriously. Some people are taking it very, very seriously to the point of paranoia. And, you know, I just want to sort of feel out if there is a, a game plan for the next couple months as, you know, the virus, you know, hopefully we start flattening the curve and, you know, life begins to go back to normal and you know, people want to know what to do and what should we be doing now in this stage when we're all in quarantine. Well, so you brought up about 20 great points that I... <laughs> could talk about for a year um but let's start with the beginning of your question and the beginning of your question was i have people calling and they want me to come over to their home perhaps and um, cut their hair they're getting a little bit desperate 
certainly if people are still going to work and if they're in essential industries, um, they may be sensitive about having their hair looking badly or whatever. Um, I would encourage them to understand that everyone's going to look kind of scraggly for the next uh, couple, at least like next four to six weeks, potentially longer, depending on where you live. But the answer to the question when somebody says, can you come over and cut my hair, should always right now be no. Mm -hmm. I understand that everybody is worried about their financial situation. Um, They want to keep their clients happy. They want their clients to come back to them when this is all over. Um, But the reality is, is that um, social distancing measures might seem kind of um, over the top and a little bit like they're it's too slow. I think people get the impression that it's not working, that what we're doing in terms of social distancing um, is not working because we're still seeing numbers rise. But the reality is it is a cure that is silent and it is very, very slow and very methodical and cheating it even a tiny bit you know, running to get your hair cut or going to have coffee, sneaking out to have coffee with a neighbor, a t- even a tiny little cheat takes everyone back 10 steps, your entire community. It really links this social chain that we all have in the world so that if you go to the grocery store once a week now, because you're trying to limit how often you go to the grocery store. And now five days later, your client calls you and says, I'm desperate, I need a haircut. And you think, gosh, I'm just going to do this one client. And you go to that one client's house. You now have linked that one client to the person at the grocery store, five people in front of you in line who put their stuff down, their keys down on the little, you know, uh, section of the counter where you all set your stuff. And now you have linked that person who you never even met with your client. And that's how social distancing can be so easily, you know, um, improperly done, you know, that it's, you have to go to the grocery store. We're not going to stop you from doing that. You may have to go to the pharmacy. You may have to go to a doctor's appointment, Mm -hmm. but beyond that, we really don't want you doing anything. Now, what will the world look like? What will this world look like? Barbering, for example, um, as we move forward, I know, you know, we talk about the new normal and what that might look like. And I don't know that any of us know the answers to that for um, a fact. Everything is still sort of up in the air in terms of what that will look like. In fact, yesterday I was on a conference call with executive directors from boards of cosmetology and barbering all over the country. And we spent two and a half hours on the phone, everybody saying what was happening in their state and what they projected to happen in their state with barbering and cosmetology. And the reality is when I got off the phone is it, nobody knows, <laughs> you know, there isn't right. a finite answer. Everyone's trying to get through today and looking to tomorrow, but looking out at the end of this is really not in anyone's um, scope yet. I'm trying to look at the end of this because I'm not bogged down by just trying to get, you know, licensing done and testing done and all those things that a board has to figure out how to do while their offices are closed. So I'm trying to help states by looking out forward, developing um, protocols for the first day you go back. How do I reopen? What, what do I do? What are the steps I need to take? And creating an actual checklist so that um, you could print it off and take this checklist with you the first day you go back. Let's say you get a, an order that you can open in three days. You know, you know you're going to be able to open. Um, obviously, the first step is start contacting your clients and letting them know, hey, I get to, be, I get to reopen in three days. We're going to do it perhaps slowly and, you know, maybe 
if you normally saw 10 people a day, maybe you're only going to try to see five the first day so that we're still limiting contact. But this checklist would allow you to go in the day before or the three days before and do all these things on this checklist to ensure that everything has been properly disinfected that can be disinfected. And um, there'll be signage that you can put in your window that is um, written so that any consumer that comes in could read it and feel safe that you've done everything, everything humanly possible to make this a safer service. Mm-hmm. Um, understanding that there is nothing done in barbering or cosmetology world that can be done at a social distance. I can't cut your hair from six feet away. Right. I can't shave you from six feet away. Um, so that, you know, doing all these other steps becomes much more important. Mm-hmm. So as it stands right now, we're just looking at the next couple weeks and just doing our part and just staying home, making sure that we're not seeing clients. We're limiting our exposure um, in the community and possibly exposing people and just hunkering down until the state and the government basically tells us it is okay to start going back to work. And then after that, we're going to be using these best practices. Correct. That's my perception. That's what I'm hopeful is going to happen. I see a couple of things that may be in the works starting to happen. And that would be that if you live in an area that is not widely affected, and by that I mean just by the nature of of how your life is designed, if you live in an area where people don't live um, on top of each other, so to speak, um, you may have lower numbers just because of that. Mm -hmm. If you live in an area where people have been particularly adherent to social distancing, um, where that those numbers are staying low because people have been hunkering down and you know not doing things that they're not supposed to be doing. You see on social media people posting all the time. Um, you know, the sooner we the sooner we all sit and stay, the the sooner we're all going to be done, and that is actually true. Mm-hmm. So there are going to be areas of the country where we're going to see that because of just their lifestyle, people who live further apart all the time, people who don't come into contact with other people very frequently, right? And we're typically talking about states in the Midwest. Um, We may see those states um, get some of their, get back to work a little bit faster just because their numbers are staying low enough that their healthcare system can keep up. Mm -hmm. Um, In those states, I think that um, it will all still roll out very, very slowly. I I couldn't, I wish I had a crystal ball to know what's going to open first, how they're going to, you know, do rollouts of openings. I will tell you right now, I don't think the states themselves know how that's going to happen. With the federal pushback to um, the middle of April or towards the end of April, um, the third week of April right now, I think most states are going to at least stick with that. Um, There are some states that have been very aggressive in pushing their stay-at-home orders way out, like even into June. So Mm. I I don't know that that's... um, that that is how long it's going to be, but I think people do need to be prepared. But when you do go back, I think it is important that there will be best practices that may go over and above what your rules currently require of you in your states. Um, Some states have very robust rules for health and public safety, and some have hardly any. And then some states have rules, particularly in Barmarine, that were written maybe 30 years ago and have never really been updated properly. Mm -hmm. So um, for your own safety and for that of your clients who are going to be much more um, aware of 
of this safety issue. Um, I think that you should be following best practices. That will also be part of what um, I'll be posting this checklist and these going forward best practices once you're open. Um, the signage that you can put in the window, those will all be on uh, our website on barbersite.com. Um, when those are all available. Awesome. But I think, you know, your consumers are going to start asking more questions. I, it's funny, I was talking to some people recently, and you've probably had this experience um, where you're watching TV now or a movie or Netflix, and you see people touching, and in your head you think, oh, should they be touching that person? Because <laughs> you have become so in tune to social distancing. Right. And so everybody's experiencing that more, um, that a, a, acute awareness of, what we should and shouldn't be doing on an ongoing basis. And so I think in this industry where part of your job is touching people, you need to do everything you can to make your consumer feel like it's a safe place to come in. So going over and above um, in terms of health and public safety now and in the near term is probably going to benefit you and your business. Hmm. So as it stands right now, we're going from <clears> – <throat> Uh, state to state are going to be making their own uh, rules and timelines as far as things being open that are um, non-essential. And when barbers go back to work, should we be, um, well, when barbers and college cosmetologists and estheticians go back to work, should we be, you, you spoke about um, also uh distancing our um, appointments so mm -hmm. maybe 15 to depending on the cleanup time for a service maybe 15 to 30 minute blocks in between services just so that we're making sure that all services are being cleaned down so all of the disinfectants you're using um, in the barbershop have a 10 minute contact time at, that's the furthest out you're going to see is a 10 minute contact time. Mm -hmm. So if you were to really adhere to 15 minutes between appointments, that does two things. It gives you time to adequately clean and disinfect all of your implements, your hard non-porous surfaces, but it also means you don't have people waiting in a waiting area together. It means one person leaves and there's a little bit of a gap before the next person comes. I recognize that barbering is not an environment where um, appointments are typically done, yeah. but I do think that as we go into this new world, this new normal, that may become a thing in barbering. It may become, um, first off, let's be realistic. The minute those barbershops open, everyone wants a haircut. Yep. There's Your businesses are going to come back booming because everyone is sick of looking at themselves with, you know, long hair and, you know, scraggly beards and all of that that, you know, aren't well maintained. And so your business is going to come back booming. And what you really don't want is to have a waiting room full of people shoulder to shoulder that if one person in there is uncomfortable, um, it can create a, a lot of um, angst for everyone. So going back in a way that is um, comfortable for all of your clients and comfortable for you um, might be the best thing that you can do. And that would be to schedule some appointments so that everybody, you start scheduling on an appointment basis. And you know what? Going forward, you might find out that's a great way to, to continue to do what you do. Mm -hmm. um, you can better gauge 
what your days are going to look like, um, how much your revenue you're going to generate every day. Um, another thing I think we will see coming, two things I think we'll see coming. One is I think we'll start seeing more services like yours being prepaid services so that somebody might go online, schedule an appointment with you, and pay online before they come in so there's no exchanging of credit cards. You know, nobody is touching each other's credit cards. It, it may be a thing moving forward probably benefits everybody like you know to be able to do that you may be in an environment where you may have a few people that can't do that they still want to pay cash that kind of thing but i think we may see more people going to prepaying for services um so that they don't have to do that exchange um at a um, point of sale terminal that kind of thing i think that the other thing that we will probably see in a lot of states is because they will not reopen non-essential businesses until um, healthcare has properly, you know, stayed either ahead of the curve or gotten over the curve, which mm-hmm. is however you want to look at it. Um, I do think there may be some mandates in some states for barbers, cosmetologists, certainly for estheticians and nail technicians to wear masks when they're providing a service. That may be something that um, a lot of states are looking to. Um, I know there's been a lot of controversy about masks just in the last 48 hours um, right. where early on the CDC and the World Health Organization were saying not to wear a mask unless you were sick and you knew you were sick. Um, but I think that what we're going to find probably by the end of this week is that there will be um, some national statement of if you can get your hands on a mask and you're not taking it away from healthcare workers, which those two things are kind of contradictory right now. But if you can wear a mask that you should, um, from the beginning when they said not to wear a mask, um, I questioned that because if you have a virus that's really silent, um, and 80% of the people that get it, or even 50% have no symptoms, Mm -hmm. the, and it's a respiratory droplet transmission. Right. If everyone was wearing a mask, then those people who do not are not symptomatic would arguably be reducing the risk of spread to people around them. So since most of us don't know if we're if we're COVID nineteen positive or not, and we may actually be positive, um, I, I think we're going to see a turnaround in the direction with masks. And I do think in this industry where you are so close to other individuals, a mask may become a thing that is requested of you. Um, Keep in mind that um, in the short term, you can use other things than an actual mask, and you don't need an N95 mask unless you know that you have um, COVID-19. But there may be ways you can do it that, um, you know, with bandanas and other things um, in lieu of being able to get actual masks. So with the M95 mask, that right now, at least for in the in the in the attempt to you know help people in the medical profession that need mm-hmm. M95 masks for right. civilians, a simple surgical mask would be fine. A simple surgical mask, or even I would say, if you can't find that, the kind of mask that you might get um, at Home Depot if you're going to paint a room or if you're going to do spray painting. Mm -hmm. They're not um, a surgical mask even, but they would um, prevent 
these, if you are sick and let's say you're even breathing or sneezing, people assume you have to sneeze on something. Um, I would point you to the direction of the story that came out of Washington state a couple of days ago of a um, church choir that practiced together. They were maintaining their social distance, um, but you're singing. So when you're singing, you're projecting, right? You're forcing air out um, more aggressively. So you're projecting and they practiced and now 45 of those choir members are COVID-19 positive and two of them have died. So um, remembering that it's that projection of any kind of respiratory droplets that can create a problem. And we do not know, one of the big questions, we know that can live on a surface, uh, plastic, for example, for up to four days. Mm -hmm. But what we don't know is how viable is it at the end of those four days. So if it's on a surface for four days and then I touch it and then I touch my eyes, ears, nose, mouth, whatever, and what, what, what is the percentage chance that I could get a viable virus? And those are the numbers we just don't know. So wearing a mask to some extent um, could be a game changer uh, in terms of keeping respiratory droplets out of the air and also keeping them off of surfaces for people that are infected and don't know it. Not only that, but wearing a mask will definitely help us get into the routine of not touching our face. Yes. And one thing I would say to you, and I know that this is a big deal uh, in a lot of communities, people love their facial hair. Mm -hmm. I will tell you, if you are wearing a mask, facial hair is a problem. If it doesn't allow the mask to sit fully on your face, mm -hmm. um, that is problematic. We don't, you, you want as few gaps as possible around the edge of a mask. So um, facial hair does become a little bit of a problem. Interestingly enough, um, I don't know if you watched the show, uh, Mythbusters, that's what it is. Mm -hmm. um, I, somebody sent me a segment of Mythbusters and they were, it's an old segment and they were trying to determine um, how far a sneeze, how far the respiratory droplets could go if you sneeze. Mm -hmm. And you know the two guys on the show, one of them has a lot of facial hair. He's got a big mustache and a big, you know, a big, huge beard. And interestingly enough, his sneezes didn't go as far because it got trapped. Basically, it got trapped in his mustache and his beard. Like, it just didn't project as far because a lot of it, you know, got stopped right on his own face. Really? That, to me, is indicative of what we should be thinking about is if you do have facial hair, um, making sure that you're really washing it well, you know, that you're doing all of those things that, you know, you're making sure that that's clean. But then also if you decide to wear a mask, that you're making sure that your facial hair doesn't impair um, the intention of the mask, which is to sit firmly on your face. So possibly in the future, we may see a spike in people clean, being either clean shaven or just having a mustache. You, you never know. I mean, it'll, it'll be interesting what comes out after this. Right now, some of this stuff is just so interesting, but there's no time right now. Right. Everybody's trying to work on the, the matter at hand. But I think what we'll see maybe a year from now, there may be another episode of Mythbusters where they talk about that. Or, you know, what's the difference if you are clean shaven and you wear a mask versus if you have facial hair? But right now, it's just the matter at hand. So we're sort of just doing what makes the most sense mm -hmm. on a day-by-day -day basis. So. And what makes the most sense and that we know is definitely working right now is social distancing. Social distancing. Mm. So. I noticed that with all these talks about masks and surfaces and exposure and droplets and surfaces and touching our face, there's a lot that we know and there's also a lot that we 
don't exactly know yet, but what we do know right. for certain is social distancing. So that is the one thing that's social distancing and hand washing. And washing I get washing. tons of questions about hand sanitizer. I, I will pro- tell you, I probably get upwards of a hundred questions a day about hand sanitizer. How do I make my own? How right. do I, you know, how, how do I do, how do I do this? How do I do this? Look, hand sanitizer. I, I think I said it on the last call. You if did. I'm saying good, good, better, best, best is always hand washing. hand washing. One of the things we have learned about this virus since our last podcast is that, um, the lipid membrane around this particular virus is highly susceptible to a lot of the, um, base bases the bases that are used in hand soaps and so washing your hands with water that's around 77 or you know front from that the lukewarm water or higher not we don't want you to get too hot we'd like you to stay in the warm range of water and getting that soap good and bubbly getting all those suds going because they're the fatty base that is used in soap has the ability to disrupt that membrane and just regular old garden variety soap. Mm. So um, I, I would encourage people, yes, hand sanitizer is a great idea if you're out and about and you don't have any other options. Um, if you just went and pumped gas, for example, um, you know, gas pumps are being widely touted on social media as a number one way that um, this is being spread. But if all you have is hand sanitizer, great, use it. But really hand washing is the gold standard. Hmm. It's so funny how in this uh, whole thing with COVID-19 happening, uh, so much of what my mother has been telling me as I've been growing up, I've just been like, they're, they're back there in my brain that they're, but they're like, and they become a part of my daily life. But then I'm like realizing more and more and more and more about it. Because I remember yeah. when we were kids, like uh, she's in the she's in the medical industry. She's a, a an X-ray technician, but she's very much into best practices. Yeah. And like uh, stuff like washing up to your elbows, and like you know, whenever we went to the doctor's office as a kid, I mean, well, this was probably a little bit overboard, but she had us um, change our outfit before we went on with the rest of our day. And then, you know what? I don't think it's crazy. I'm the person, my kids laughed at me for years, and now my kids are like, oh, you're right. You know, as a nurse, I, whenever I go anywhere, but particularly if I went to a doctor's office, mm-hmm. I always had my own writing implement with me, my own pen, hmm. because the last thing I want to do is sign in on that sheet that says I'm at the doctor's office with the pen that everybody else used who might be sitting in that room because they're sick. And so I was always the person to say to my kids, make sure you carry your own pen with you at all times. And my kids laughed at that. Um, When Apple Pay came out, I told my kids, download Apple Pay. That way you don't have to touch the buttons on the machines. You can just put your phone up close and it will, you know, charge your credit card or whatever. And my kids thought, they all laughed at me about that. But you're right. You know, what your mother said isn't crazy. Changing your clothes if you are working in healthcare is not a horrible idea when you come home. It's how I was trained as a nurse. I came in the back door of the locker room and I left my street shoes and my street clothes, by, you know, in my locker or in front of my locker. And I put on my work clothes and I did the same thing in reverse. So my risk of bringing something into the patients was, you know, reduced, but also my risk of taking something home to my family was reduced, which makes me think of one other thing that I see people doing all the time today that really um, 
most nurses are like it's making us all crazy is that people will put on a pair of gloves and wear them all day long. Yeah. And you know what? Now you've just made your problem probably almost worse. Um, because if you didn't have gloves on, you would be washing your hands. You'd be conscious of, I touched something, I need to wash my hands. Mm-hmm. But people put on gloves and then they go around and touch everything. And they feel like, well, I'm safe because I have this glove on. But now you've just moved everything around without you know actually washing your hands in between and if you touch your face with that glove i promise you that glove is loaded with everything you've touched it's just it's just hanging on to that glove so at least on your own hands you have good bacteria that um, sort of takes up space it's supposed to be there it protects you from um, bad pathogens taking a precedence gloves are meant to be single use i put them on to do a single thing and then I take them off. That's why they're in such short supply because right. a nurse can't wear a pair of gloves for all the care she does to a single patient. She has to do one thing and take them off and put another pair on. And that's really problematic out in the real world. I saw somebody at the grocery store last week. She had on gloves and she was going around and she was picking up the produce. She's picking up the avocados and she's squeezing them to see which one's ripe. She's touching the tomatoes and She's spreading whatever's on her gloves to every single person who picks up that tomato and takes it home or that avocado and takes it home. So um, I would caution you, if you have gloves, put them on for one use and take them off and then just be conscious of what you're touching and when you need to wash your hands. Mm -hmm. So that application for um, people in the beauty hair industry would be changing a single client, every client. Awesome. Yep, a single client. So if you are going to wear gloves moving forward, mm-hmm. you put your client in the chair. This is how I this is how I would structure it if it was me. Um, you go get your client from wherever they're waiting for you. You get them in the chair. You talk to them about what you want to do. You're not touching them. You're talking to them about what they want to do with their hair. I want it, you know, obviously shorter mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's all everyone's hair is long now. Um, and you're having that consultation moment with them, and then you're going to wash your hands. And put gloves on and start your service with them. You're going to complete your whole service with them, and then when they when they're out of your chair, let's say you're going up to pay, that would be the time to take your gloves off, throw them away, wash your hands, go up and take their payment, wash your hands again, and then do the whole thing all over again. I, I get that everyone's hands are dry and everyone is sick of washing their hands. I've mm-hmm. told everyone I know who has a lot of money to invest in companies that make lotion because we're all going to need it. Um, but I, I get that, that that is a huge pain. It's a huge time constraint, but it is the way to do it properly. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I don't think it's bad to do it in front of your client to demonstrate to them. I'm now washing my hands. I'm putting on gloves that are single use gloves. I literally just pulled them out of the box for you. And I'm going to do your service. Now, when I start touching you, I'm going to have gloves on. And when I stop touching you, I'm taking the gloves off. I'm washing my hands. And I'm going to go you know, do this next thing. It's a single-use glove. You know, that's something that I've noticed that, um, say, like, when you're washing your hands, I, uh, like, back when this whole COVID-19 thing would just started ramping up and people were getting sort of antsy about shaking hands after I would, um, prep my station and turn my chair towards the customer and lower it. I would have them, I would ask them like, Oh, come, come on over, come on, sit down. And 
when we were going to the portion where typically I would shake their hand, they would be coming over to the chair and they would sit down, and that's when I would also start washing my hands. And because we have a sink next to our station, and we would be, I would be asking them about their day and, hey, how are you doing? To sort of, it's not exactly a handshake, but there is still that familiarity and sort of that respect from man to man happening there. You know, there is still, like, you know, we're not exactly giving that thing that we've socially, socially recognized as, like, a, a greeting and a respect. But, you know, just making those little changes to still acknowledge that, but have safe practices. I think that's perfect. You know, I have, uh, I, I uh, am nationally, you know, I'm traveling all the time and I'm speaking to large groups and small groups and state boards and inspectors and all those kinds of people. And I have always said um, when I speak, I'm not a handshaker. Like, period, I'm not a handshaker. And I'm not a handshaker because... I'm on airplanes, I'm in meetings, I'm in front of large groups. If I were to shake hands with everybody and then go fly on planes and sleep in hotels and shower in hotels, you know, I'm bound to be sick all the time. Like that, that is a thing. I would be getting sick all the time. So I'm not a handshaker. And I've told people, you know, for years, you can find other ways to be respectful, um, to introduce yourself to somebody because there may come a day, and I believe this is our day now, where handshaking is no longer seen as a sign of a greeting, it may be um, offensive to some people moving forward. And that there are other ways to introduce yourself to make people feel like you're respecting them and that you're glad that they're in your place of business or whatever it is that they're doing um, that do not involve your t- you, you touching literally the dirtiest part of their body <laughs> in, in regard to pathogens, you know right. I mean? You don't know what somebody else, where someone else's hands have been. And I've said this often to people. If you wouldn't kiss somebody, you probably shouldn't shake their hand, right? If I wouldn't kiss you, because let's be realistic, my lips are not on a toilet handle. My lips are not on the handle of your barbershop, right. my, you know, the door. My lips probably are less offensive from a viral standpoint than my hands. And so if you wouldn't kiss someone, you probably shouldn't shake their hands. And that's always been my mantra. I'm glad that it's finally becoming everybody else's because fewer people will try to shake my hands in the future. (laughs) Right. You know, it's so funny. We had a sort of a tradition in the shop that whenever we were uh, cut, whenever someone came in, we started cutting their hair, we'd ask about their day. And if they were to say to us like, Oh, this is the haircut that I'm getting for uh, I'm getting married tomorrow. And then everyone would be like, oh, he's getting married. And then we'd come (laughs) over and we'd kiss their cheeks. (laughs) Oh, there you go. See? And you better hope you didn't get some new groom sick with something he's taking to his honeymoon. Well, that was was, was a long time ago. We stopped doing that. (laughs) You could kiss him on the top of the head. I'm I'm all good with that. So (laughs) probably not today. Probably your consumer wouldn't be okay with that. But for years, you know, when I've been speaking and I've said, you know, I, I would rather kiss someone than shake their hands to some extent. Um, mm-hmm. And But my husband frowns upon that, so I don't do either. Like, I don't <laughs> shake hands, and I don't kiss people, so. <laughs> uh, oh, we, we forgot to talk about home service. Well, I'll, I'll add this to the part in the beginning, but you wanted to talk more about home services? Yeah. So one of the things that I am hearing 
sort of loud and clear from the states. Everybody knows that there is a big conversation that right now is on pause, but it's only on pause about deregulation in both barbering and cosmetology. There were over 291 bills uh, across 51, 50 states um, when all of this occurred. 291 bills that were some form of deregulation legislation. Um, it might have been reducing hours drastically. It might have been um, deregulating some portion of barbering or cosmetology, but it might have been total and complete deregulation. That argument will come back, I promise you. Mm. And so one of the things we don't want to do in this time where we're all feeling very pressed for um, money, um, I already said don't go to someone's house and do a home service, but the one thing I didn't address was um, something that's being we're seeing on social media more and more where people who are doing particularly chemical services. So if you're doing any color or anything like that, I know that that's not you know your primary service, but I know some barbers do chemical services. Um, if what you're saying on your social media page is, I will box up your color for you and give you instructions and you can do it at home, what you're also saying to legislators in your state, to people who want to deregulate is, this isn't really necessary that somebody be professional to do it. You're telling the message you're giving is anyone can do this. Mm -hmm. It's not, there's no risk involved. And the reality is that the reason we are all licensed is because you provide a service that could be a risk to the public. And we want to protect your license. We want to protect your profession. But if what you're doing and what you're saying are two different things, if you're saying I need a license because somebody could get hurt, but on the same token, you're giving people things that are marked as professional only, um, you could be creating your own angst down the road. So right. I would caution you. I know it's a hard time, but it probably isn't worth fueling this um, idea that people can do everything at home. And oh, by the way, if someone were to get hurt, um, a manufacturer of a professional product really wouldn't be liable. It would just be you as an individual. Mm. So if somebody did get hurt doing something at home, um, it, it, it really would come back on you. So I would caution you to think before you do those things. Think hard before you make those kinds of concessions to make people happy. Mm. Yeah, and that, that, that makes me think about um, uh, people right now outside of the... Um, the licensing boards, um, amateur barbers, um, people that do um, kitchen cuts out of their house. Like right now, um, being an opportunist, you know, a lot of yes. those people, they aren't really in the circuits of professional barbering. So they may see this as a great time for them, but it may be possibly the worst thing that they could be doing. So if there are any barbers out there that are not licensed not licensed that are not following um best practices or uh following um social distancing i please just for a bit i urge you i know times are tight i know money's tight but like you know the more the um the, the faster we get through this the easier yeah it's and be and everyone. the reality is i do see states um on the other side of this becoming much more aggressive in the inspection process, trying to ensure that safety is, you know, first and foremost mm -hmm. in 
all barbershops, all places of business for cosmetology. I do see that that, uh, inspectors will probably probably be given more authority than they have in the past. And um, I think licensure may become uh, more important than ever in terms of ensuring that we are in a place where people are getting safe services. Um, it'll be interesting to see how this all rolls out, but that was one of the conversations on the call yesterday mm-hmm. with the states was, you know, we're going to have to have our inspectors ready to roll. They're going to have to be looking for best practice um, and ensuring that as people start to come back into the places of business, the barbershops, the salons, that everything is being done to make it as safe as possible. So to your point, people who are doing it underground, that kind of thing, um, this, they may be making a bank right now because they're doing it, you know, in a garage, in a uh, kitchen, and that kind of thing. But I think as we move forward, those people will be uncovered a little quicker and mm-hmm. a licensure, you know, and, and having to have a license will become far more important. You know, how awful um, this whole thing is with, you know, it, it's gotten to the point, it's a pandemic now, if I'm correct. Yeah. Yep. At this point of it being a pandemic, it's definitely a very awful thing, but it is definitely a wake up for the modern world as far as our conduct goes, you know, living in areas where there is a high population. But also, I mean, uh, one good thing that does come out of this is it's definitely a wake-up call for everyone in our industry because we see so many people and because of the high amount of traffic. Yeah. Mm. I, I'm, I, you know, somebody on the call yesterday at the end, she said, um, you know, I want to give a shout-out to Leslie. I sat, I've, I've heard her speak so many times, and she said, I've sat and listened to her say it's not a matter of if we're going to have a pandemic it's just a win Mm -hmm. and it it wasn't something i wanted to be right about but Mm -hmm. it's something that we have been we were ripe for um the the timing was like we were overdue for a pandemic um and this one you know if we see that less than five percent of the people that get it or less than three percent actually die is pretty mild compared to what it could have been mm-hmm. and i think that now is the time you're right it's the wake-up call to know better do better behave better going forward because the next pandemic may not be as forgiving it may be the mortality rates 50 percent mm-hmm. you know we want to be prepared to do the right thing every day that we know we can do um, so that if another one comes, we're not caught just constantly behind the eight ball every single day. You know, um, there's a University of Washington has a website and you can go to this website um, and look at your own state. And what this website does is it predicts when the healthcare in your state will be maxed out, when literally your state will be at its highest peak of need for beds, for ICU beds, for ventilators, and can your state meet that? And the interesting thing about looking at this website is that, for example, I have a son who lives in New York City, and on Sunday, their projected um, peak, uh, you know, healthcare peak was April the 6th. Well, now they've brought the USS Comfort in, they've got more masks, they've got more ventilators, and now Mm -hmm. it's been moved out to April the 9th. And by looking at those kinds of things, you can see that any measure we put in place, anything we do to mitigate 
hospitalizations, ventilated patients, it does actually help. If you can just stay ahead of that date, like if that date just keeps moving out, keeps moving out, if on April 10th, the date is April 11th, you're still not there yet, right? And if you can get it to move out a little bit further so that you can get past that curve so that people who need care can get it, uh, the vast majority of people who get this, if they can get care and they can get it in time, can get through it. But that that's going to be our biggest struggle. It's why social distancing and hand washing and staying at home and not cutting hair and not going to someone's house all those things still matter as much as they did the first day you heard this last week, yesterday, they still matter and they matter um, at least for the next two weeks, even though it may seem like it's not working. It is working. Mm-hmm. And what website is that again? Um, I can put it in the show notes and you can just send it. To yeah, them, let me but... give it to you. It's super cool website. It's called COVID19.healthdata.org. And then backslash projections. It's fair. Go on it and just scroll down. And it is, uh, you know, you can pick your state. You can do the whole U.S. Like I'm looking at Georgia right now because you're in Georgia, right? Actually, hang on. I haven't gotten to it yet. Um... So like in Georgia, you're 22 days till your peak, which Mm -hmm. is April 23rd. Oh, geez. And it, and it's estimating you'll be short 643 beds on that day. Hmm. So it's very, it's like a cool website. Hmm. <laughs> you will get obsessed with it. It'll tell you how many deaths per day you can project. And like April 24th, Georgia will be heavy. will have 77 deaths per day. Hmm. My roommates are going to love it. Well, they're not, they're yeah, not going to love it. They're going to be very informed by it. Yeah, um, it's a, it's updated every single. It's constantly updated. So, for example, like I, you know, like I said, the New York one kept pushing out, and um, I live in the state of Kansas, which had a stay-at-home order that started on Monday. So on Sunday, it said no stay-at-home order, and Monday morning it was there. So March thirtieth was on there. So it's it's a cool website, hmm. and you can look at the whole United States if you want. It's, that's a little overwhelming to me. <laughs> Are there any other resources to put people's mind at ease that you would suggest besides this website that you just listed? So the website I just probably won't put your mind at ease. It'll just make you more informed. I think there's two things when we talk about things like this is information is important, mm-hmm. but over- information can also be overwhelming. Um, then just the sheer numbers can be a little bit terrifying for people that are um, really taking that to heart, taking those numbers to heart. But information is useful, um, I think, to help you feel like you're moving forward. Um, you know, on our website, we're trying to put things up on barbicide.com. We're trying to put things up that make you feel empowered for going back to work. We're trying to give you information on how to plan you've got some downtime um one of the things i'm encouraging everybody in my world to do is take some time for yourself every single day no matter what take some time for yourself every single day and practice self-care because that is so important whether it is i go for a walk i do yoga i'm gonna shut the door and read this book a chapter of it because that's important to me you have to take time for yourself a lot of people are home with 
people they haven't been in the same house with all day in years. I mean, their children, mm-hmm. their spouses, their roommates, whatever that situation is, and you have to take care of yourself. But then as you start figuring out, hey, I am going to go back to work. That is going to happen. What are the things I can do to be better prepared? What What is um, a, a technique I've wanted to learn um, for cutting, you know, maybe, or what are some things I would like to be able to offer that I wasn't offering before? And how can I do that? What are some products I might want to start selling retail, start investigating those things, but certainly know that your business is going to come back (laughs) and only ingest as much information as makes you informed, but doesn't make you panicked or having anxiety. Mm -hmm. Um, Pick a new source that you want to watch and watch it for one hour a day. Um, don't keep rehashing everything you've already heard all day long. It just will turn that fear and that anxiety and everybody and, and all the people around you. Mm-hmm. Find that balance between being informed and being obsessive. Exactly. You know, find a, a period of time. And one of the things I've been doing in my own personal life, it's nice enough weather now where, thank God, and the weather's starting to turn everywhere and be nice where every single day I turn the phone off, I turn my computer off and I sit down and have a meal with the people who live in my house and we talk and we don't get disrupted because everything can wait right now. You know, unless you have someone in your family who is sick, everything can wait. And it's a period to sort of feel like you're recentered in who you are. And that is important, but you know, do I listen to the news? Yes. But do I listen to it all day long? Absolutely not. Mm. Can't take it. <laughs> and one, and now our situations, I'd say that we're in some pretty good places. We have family members, we have roommates, but uh, a suggestion for the people out there who either live alone or live in a less than ideal living situation, um, try to find a routine for yourself. Um, oftentimes when we were working, we had routines like going to work, coming home, preparing food. But now that you're home alone, you need to start making new routines for yourself. A good rule to follow for this would be treat yourself like someone you're responsible for taking care of. Oftentimes we, you know, we treat our pets better than we treat ourselves. You know, if your pet needs medicine prescribed from the doctor, you know, they're going to get all that medicine. But oftentimes when people get a prescription, they might take half of it, you know. So just start caring for yourself a bit more. Yeah, and you do bring up a good thing about people who live alone. Um, If you know people in your community, your your friend community, your professional community – I, for example, have a lady that lives three houses up from me. Um, She's in her 80s. She lives alone. I make a point of calling her every day. How are you doing? Not necessarily talking about this, but it can be very isolating to be by yourself. You know, it's scary enough when you have your roommates or your family or whoever's living in your house. It's scary enough. But if you're all by yourself, remember those people in your lives, um, you know, on Sunday, I sat out on my back porch and called two friends that live alone who I haven't talked to for more than 10 minutes for the last year. And we, I talked to each of them for over an hour. And I felt like it was good for me and it was good for them. And we talked about other things that took us away from this. And I think to your point, 
be aware of who's around you who might need your support more than they ever did. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that routine that you get into yourself, somebody else may not be able to be in that. So be conscious of those people and reach out. So going forward, you know, as these states start to um, have a plan, it will not happen overnight. Nobody's going to wake up tomorrow morning with a, hey, you can go back to work. That's not going to happen. What will happen is there will be, my guess is most cities, um, if if you're doing it, if you are on a stay-at-home order for your local government, whether that's the city or the county you live in, Mm -hmm. or you're on it based on your state, because some are statewide mandated, there will be a, you will have plenty of notice. There will be some time period, probably my guess is about 14 days, where they're going to say, okay, in 14 days, these things can open. And then these things can open. They're, they're going to roll it out for you. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have plenty of time. You're not going to have to wake up tomorrow morning and look at the news and go, oh, shoot, I got to go to my barber shop. There will be time. Um, and there will be time for you to go back in and do all the prep you need to do. So um, just starting to gather the things that you're going to need, starting to look at, for example, things like the checklist that I'm developing for people, you know, starting to get in your head, what do I need to do the first day I go back? And what do I need to have going forward? What do I need to be prepared with going forward? But nothing's going to happen overnight. I, I promise you that no state is going to all of a sudden say, okay, time's up. You can all go back to work it will be a slow rollout um, and you'll be aware of what's what is allowed in your own um, local community or state mm-hmm. and this list that you're compiling where will people have access to that so um, it will be up on our website barbicide.com okay. um, under our I'm not sure under what tab yet but I'm happy to get back on the phone with you even briefly like you know in another week if we want to do a, just a shorter version of this or yeah. if people want to email you questions um, I'm happy just to do a question and answer session a week from now or two weeks from now, whatever works for you. Yeah. Um, but it will be up and it'll be available. Mm-hmm. And actually, um, I will email it to you when it's done. And if you can get it out to your community, that's also, I don't, I don't want to have any ownership other than I wrote it, but I want people, I want it to be, you know, spread around for people to use, um, widely. Absolutely. Yeah. Hmm. I think that's uh, I think that's good. Is there any uh, closing statements that you want to put there? Just hang in there. Everybody hang in there. This will turn around. Life will start again. Um, it may it may just be a different kind of normal. Um, there are a lot of changes that have happened that I hope stay in place. I hope we create less pollution. I hope we have more family dinners. I hope we stay in contact with our friends and neighbors who might otherwise feel isolated, but I also hope that we all get back to work um, and don't feel so afraid, um, and, and that is coming. So whatever you have to do to feel hopeful, um, do that, um, and reach out to people around you if you are feeling um, so much anxiety or such a loss of hope that you just don't know what to do. Reach out. There is help available, um, and just stay hopeful, and we'll, get, we'll all get through this together. Yes, we will. Leslie, thank you so much for uh, coming on again and uh, helping us out. You've been a tremendous resource to uh, the barbering and uh, cosmetology community and uh, also for this podcast. (laughs) All right. Well, let me know what I can do going forward. You got it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.